Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. As a CEO, a VP of sales, or a sales manager, managing and guiding your team is a top priority. But accountability, especially in sales teams, isn't always easy. Getting a team to follow through can often be a challenge, and you don't always know what to do if people aren't hitting expectations. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on accountability in sales. In it, you'll discover how to apply accountability tools in a sales context. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod two, three, four. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am very excited about today's guest. She is the principal at the Sales Acceleration Group which is a company that specializes in helping startup founders drive more business by providing evaluation and execution around their sales process. She works on strategy, training, and she helps her clients hire the best sales reps. So all very important, very good things. She has over 15 years of sales management experience in the software as a service space, and she's a speaker and presenter at the Sales Experts channel. She is based in the lovely St. Louis, Missouri. And actually, as a kind of fun fact, she started her career as a buyer at Macy's and really translated that in understanding how to sell. So we are so excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome, Christy Jones. Elizabeth, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here today as well. Appreciate the introduction. It's um, it's always fun to talk to people who are in a similar space to where we are, because you are talking to a lot of the same people that I talk to day by day, and um, you see a lot of the same challenges. So I just gave the resume description, what everybody could probably get by looking at your LinkedIn, but that's not all of who you are. So could you introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners, maybe talk about um, how you got to where you are today and um, where your passion really began? Absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, I kind of, I came out of college and went into the retail space and I was there for eight years. Um, that really kind of honed my negotiation skills, I would say. Um, it's a very uh, interesting business, uh, retail, and again, as you know, struggling business current industry currently. One of the things that I really did benefit from is having a lot of female mentors. So it mm-hmm. is on the positive side. The retail industry is filled with women and women at the executive level. So I got a really nice opportunity to work with a lot of great women and kind of see how they operated um, a little bit in a man's world. So I really appreciated that for sure. And really, again, honed my my analytical and my negotiation skills were truly honed um, while I was a buyer. I left that industry in 2000 and decided I was looking for a company, not a job. So I took a little different. <laughs> um, I, I had I had had my field of corporate America, and so I knew I wanted to work for a privately owned company. So I really kind of started. I, I really thought I had a lot of great skills coming out of the retail world that I could apply in a lot of different ways. And so I really started looking at privately owned companies, kind of SMB in the SMB space, and really wanted to, I wanted to sit at the round table, I said, like I called it the Knights of the Round Table, and I wanted an opportunity to do that. And I um, happened upon an amazing first opportunity outside of retail with a privately owned company um, in the e-learning space. So before we called it SaaS, we called it subscription model. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. I spent 10 years helping an owner build out his privately owned um, e-learning company. When we got there, I think when I got there, there were seven employees. When I left, there were over 50. Um, They were a little under about a million dollars when I got there and over eight when I left. 
Um, and it was just, it was an amazing opportunity. I said, I did everything but code. Um, <laughs> uh, I came in, I'm not even sure I had a title when I came in. Um, I remember I just followed him around like a little lost puppy for a couple weeks. Uh, and then within months I'm running, I, I'm, uh, helping the new salespeople on board. Um, and then within 18 months, I was managing the entire revenue stream, both net new. And, uh, back then we didn't call it customer success either. We called it account management. And so, um, I spent 10 years at that company cutting my, uh, sales leadership teeth, if you will. I had definitely been in retail leadership, but I had never been in software leadership. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and again, it was a, it was a growing company. It wasn't funded, but it was still a fast paced environment. I said, if you need post-its, that was me. If the copier was jammed, that was me. If the server, which was in a closet in that, in that space at the time, <laughs> that, that was also me. Um, so as you know, in, in smaller companies, you're a jack of all trades. Absolutely. Um, after, uh, after having an amazing opportunity there for 10 years, I ventured out and, and still stayed in the SaaS space, um, but I got my first t- taste of VC-backed. So mm-hmm. I went from there and worked for a company called Network Solutions, which is now owned by GoDaddy, um, and had an amazing opportunity there and worked for a, a wonderful man named Carl and Carl Boothby. And, and I got to run a $28 million department of inside sales in two states, uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. I had three teams. And in Belleville, Illinois, I had two teams. And that was my first experience with having a company that was funded. So um, Very different. <laughs> Very different. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I affectionately tell this story because Carl made me better on a daily basis. But I remember the first day Carl showed up in my doorway and he said, wow, sales were great yesterday. And I'm like, I know, right? I'm like so excited. He's like, so what happened? And I go, <laughs> huh? He goes, what happened? And I go, sales were great yesterday. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, why is that? And I go, oh, oh, hell, I don't know. And he goes, well, I'll come back in a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. And as, as sort of a segue to our topic today, that was my first taste of true accountability um, in a way I had not experienced it before. So um, unfortunately, during my tenure there, we did get bought out by GoDaddy. But, but one of the things I learned after that experience was I still wanted to stay in the small, mid-sized space. I wanted to work for a privately owned company, but now I wanted to work for VC-backed privately owned companies. And mm-hmm. so I continued down that path um, and stayed in the SaaS space with, I said, I say one, uh, one left of center turn. It was a VC backed dog food company. And oh. <laughs> yeah, I learned very quickly that dog food and cat food are not sexy. Uh, not so much. Important if, as a pet owner. <laughs> I was so excited because they were VC backed and, the, and the, the CEO and the COO had just been at Breyer's ice cream and turned that place around and and it was my first day and I was like, I got literally 10 months in and out. I was like, yeah, I got to go back to software really quickly here. Um, <laughs> so I continued to stay in the SaaS world. Um, and then prior to going out on my own four years ago, my last, I call it real, real job was with Gainsight. So another amazing experience, um, you know, the leader in the customer success software space, Silicon Valley based, they had an office in St. Louis where I reside. Um, and I got an opportunity to build their first SDR team out from zero to 13. Uh, they gave me six weeks to do the first eight, <laughs> zero to eight in six weeks. Um, <laughs> and again, nothing like the pace of, you know, a, a, a heavily backed, I think they were ser- they just taken series B when I got there. They've now taken over 150 million in, in funding. So I've had just some amazing experiences in the SaaS world. And so 
when I decided to go out on my own and help other founders um, build and grow their sales teams, I already knew what my swim lane was. I was kind of locked and loaded at that point. I, you know, I love software. I love technology. I love SaaS. And I loved that startup space. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, you know, you asked about passions. Definitely, that's my swim lane, but also my passion. Um, and then, you know, from over the last four years of working with startup founders and privately owned owners, you know, one of the things that has really stuck out to me is, you know, I, I say I do two things. I do zero and I do broken. So <laughs> sometimes I get the call um, from a, a, you know, a VC, a VC company or a referral and somebody says, we're ready to build out our first sales team or our first customer success team or our first SDR team. And I'm like, great, let's do that. You know, so I come in and I say, I do people process and tools. Um, and then the other thing is, is when things aren't going so well, right. When, when they're struggling, a lot of founders, you know, my favorite founder stories are somebody, you know, had a problem they saw they came in to solve it, but a lot of founders don't have a sales or marketing background. And so sometimes mishires happen. A lot of times process isn't where it needs to be. Um, but one of the things I've, I'm seeing consistently is people don't know how to hold their employees accountable and particularly their sales reps accountable, which is always a little bit shocking to me because sales is such an objective sport as I call uh-huh. it, um, that it shouldn't be that challenging, but, but it is, that has kind of become my new passion project. And, you know, I don't specifically go in and get paid to put an accountability culture together. I'm just quietly doing it in the background. <laughs> Every time I step into a client, um, you know, a piece of that is I'm, I'm helping them or teaching them how to create a sales accountability culture. Absolutely. And I, I just, I love your story. And I think so many people can connect to different aspects of your story. And the fact that you, um, through multiple evolutions in multiple ways, um, were able to identify a thread that now you've been able to build your business around is really exciting to figure out, you know, what, what worked for you, what was engaging to you versus what really didn't. And to figure out, um, even, even that, that lesson that you first learned about accountability, you know, I see, um, whenever you have a well-funded company, there are people who are very, very, uh, concerned about their investment that they have made. And every client that we have that's VC backed, the entire leadership team has a completely different focus on measurability and accountability. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people push back on that and they say, you know, just let people do, you know, let people be themselves and, you know, um, let, let some randomness happen. And I, I, I can certainly, you know, you see the, the, the pressure in public companies, um, to drive everything around quarterly reports. And I, that can be dysfunctional certainly, but the, the focus of accountability of just why are we getting the results that we're getting? What are people actually doing? And can we track certain behaviors to results? Can we figure out what it takes to be successful versus, um, versus you know, the, the behaviors that, that might not result in success? And if, if you aren't looking at that as a leader, it doesn't matter whether you're VC funded or not. Okay. These are basic principles of leadership. Yep, totally agree. Um, and, and again, these are, these are teachable skills, right? So, I mean, the good news is I can come into companies and help them put that in place. Cause these are teachable skills. This is not something that this is not in anybody's DNA that you're born with. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk about, um, accountability because that's the focus of our conversation today. So how would you actually define having a culture of sales accountability? What does that mean to you? 
Yeah, I think it's got three pieces. Um, you know, piece number one is, you know, have proper expectations been set and have they been communicated? Um, and I'll throw in the word realistic as well. So have realistic <laughs> expectations been set and communicated. Um, and then, you know, like this used to be a hot word a while back and I'm still using it regularly. And is there a buy-in to that? So, yep. you know, sales leadership could have expectations, but if the sales reps or the sales team hasn't bought in, then uh -huh. it's going to be real challenging. So, you know, do that, do you have buy-in? Um, and then do you understand what the consequences of that are? Like, you know, so again, that, that's the piece that a lot of people are missing is, you know, my sales reps misquoted the last two months and I go, great. Well, what have we done about that? Well, nothing, <laughs> right. We haven't had a discussion about it um, other than, you know, try harder next time. So, you know, I think there have to be, I mean, there have to be consequences and they have to be laid out. I'm, I'm a big proponent on not surprising anybody about anything. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, there, everybody should understand what is expected of you. Do you agree? And do you have a plan? And then what, you know, how are we going to handle it? And it doesn't, again, like, you know, consequences, everybody goes, you know, thinks about being fired. Well, they're like, really the, what are we going to do about it part? You know, so how Absolutely. are we going to handle the situation if we get ourselves in a, if we get ourselves to a place that we are not comfortable anymore, what are we going to do about it? Um, and, and then, and then it's discipline and consistency, right? So if you have those three things, which seem like very easy to put on paper, that part's not the hard part. <laughs> it's the discipline around holding yourself as the sales leader accountable or the sales rep accountable. I mean, the ideal situation is we get to a place where people are holding themselves accountable and people Absolutely. are forward. You know, people are falling on the sword, if you will, coming forward and saying, hey, listen, I, you know, I made an agreement to do X and I'm not doing X and I feel badly about that. Here's the, here's the new plan I have in place. I'm looking for some help, you know, and some buy off from you and buy in from you. And then let's talk about, you know, how we're going to measure that and what are the milestones and those type of things. So it really is the process, putting the process together is fine. But what I find is I do go into companies where there is a process for accountability but it's not being followed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that really comes, um, I see the same exact thing. And I, I love that you, you broke it out into those three basic pieces, because I think that can be a diagnostic for a sales leader who feels like, you know what, I don't have the, the culture of it accountability that I'm looking for. I don't feel like um, I'm accountable. I don't feel like my team is accountable, whatever it might be to really analyze in those, in those areas were expectations set and communicated. Um, mm -hmm. Did I establish buy-in? Um, mm -hmm. Do I have a plan for consequences? And am I actually, like you were just saying, am I actually following through on it? Um, so often leaders think that the only possible consequence is like firing somebody. It's like, well, I'm not going to fire my rep just because they didn't hit their targets. Okay, then there's no consequences. And there is actually a consequence you can have between just pat them on the head and say, do better next time and firing them. And figuring out what that is for you in your organization is key. And then if they know that that's what happens and it's, it's not scary, it's not an overreaction, it's perfectly appropriate and, and acceptable, then all you have to do is just make sure you actually do it. Mm -hmm. Yep. It, 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 it's the, you know, I mean, again, conflict is not easy. No one, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, very few people are comfortable with conflict um, and, you know, and being uncomfortable but those conversations, A, have to happen, and B, the longer you delay them, the worse they get. And the Absolutely. Worse and the harder that conversation becomes. So, you know, having the discipline around, you know, again, 
that's why I want people to put a formal process, a written process in place for accountability, because then it's a little bit like, hey, well, I'm just following the process that we've already agreed to. And that makes that Absolutely. a little bit easier. But, it, but the conversation, you know, and, and the first couple of conversations are not going to be as easy as the next couple of conversations. Um, and sometimes I feel like, you know, a lot of times when I have these conversations with sales reps, I see relief, right? Because uh-huh. they've been waiting. You know, they've been like quietly coming in, quietly going to lunch, quietly leaving at night, you know, <laughs> trying to fly below the radar. Like they, I mean, like people know when they're not doing what they have agreed to do. And sometimes just getting that elephant out and, you know, that's in the room and putting the cards on the table, there is some sense of relief there that I'm, you know, that like, it's not a secret. It really isn't a secret. And nobody, th- you know, if you think it is a secret, it's not. And so I, I see relief on pa- on people's faces and they're sometimes just really looking for a partner. Like sometimes they don't know what to do next. And they're just looking for someone to take their hand and say, I'm here. We're here. We're in this together. Absolutely. I actually had a conversation like this with um, with one of our clients this week where um, I was sitting in on a one-on-one call between the sales lead and an underperforming sales rep. And we were coming in with some level of accountability and consequences, but uh, primarily our approach was brainstorming and finding solutions together. Mm-hmm. And he agreed to participate in um, and you know a, a level of management that he did not have to apply to before because he he wasn't hitting expectations and so he's getting a lot more check-ins and and that's actually helpful because the check-ins are not just are you doing what you're supposed to be doing um, you know big brother coming in but they're um, you know we developed a plan together how's that working um, are you are you doing what you were planning on doing are you seeing the results? that you thought you'd get out of that. Um, if not, okay, let's talk about solutions together. And it's just coming al- alongside and helping. That's right. And if it, like that, as you said, I, I just could not agree more. We've all seen the sales rep who's hiding and mm-hmm. literally like they're trying to figure out during a sales meeting, I hope this person talks longer so I don't get called on. And, you know, they're, they're missing sales meetings of, oh, I have a doctor's appointment or, you know, I have a call that I have to be on and all these things that they're doing to try to hide. But you're in a job where you literally can't hide because sales is one of the very few um, roles within an organization where there are always clear metrics and visibility generally across the organization. You know, people can see the actual pipeline. They can see the actual sales that come in. So you can't hide. So so to actually just bring things into the light and say, you know, this is not like the, you know, uh, shining a light in your eyes and, and torturing you. This is um, working with you and, and being a partner and being um, being a support. That's a, a really powerful message. And it, like you said, it, it's relief. It's it's comfort. It's it's you know it's a potential solution to whatever challenges are driving the lack of results. Yes, agreed. Yeah, such a such a powerful thing. Now, one thing that um, that I know you talk about, and we we touched on this when we were talking before the recording, is that accountability, especially if you want an accountable culture, needs to start in the hiring and onboarding process. So can you talk a little bit about how you can, how you do that? Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, hundred percent agree on that. And because I do a lot of hiring help, as I call it with my new founders, um, they've never hired their first sales rep. So I come in and really handhold them through that process. I have built accountability as a competency interview questions. So 
you know, I mean, there's a couple of ways you can do that in the interview process. One of the, one of those ways is homework, right? Mm-hmm. Um, giving them homework and seeing if they complete it and do they complete it within the time that you've given them to do it. So even if it's something, you know, I mean, even if it's something very simple with, can you send me some document or can you send me some, you know, um, idea of your last comp plan or it doesn't really, in fairness, it doesn't matter what it is. What, it, what does matter is that you give them the homework and you give them a deadline and you see, you know, if they hit that homework and deadline. So I like to do that throughout the interview process just to make sure that that's one test. The second one truly is just interview questions. So around, around the topic of accountability within my behavioral-based interview questions, I ask questions like, um, tell me about the last time that you missed quota. And then they'll tell me that story. And then I'll say, you know, tell me the circumstances around that. And I'm really looking to see if they're going to, I call it hashtag own your own shit. Or, <laughs> or if they're going to blame, you know, territory, product, marketing. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a variety of people who you can throw blame at if you're really looking hard enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, really looking to see, are they going to take accountability for that even if there may have been some circumstances, right? I mean, even if a hurricane came through Texas, you know, and that was their territory, you know, could they have done other things? I mean, I, I had actually had a, a candidate say that to me. I had Texas during uh, Katrina and, and he said, I went, I figured out that this was going to be a wash for like 60 days. And he said, so I went to my boss and there were a couple of open States on the West coast. And I asked if I could work on those States while Texas was rebuilding. Wow. That's the candidate I want right there. Yes. Um, you know, uh, other things I ask, tell me about a time you set a goal for yourself and you didn't reach it. So again, here's something that, you know, nobody set it for you. You actually picked, pick, you know, pick the goal, you know, so I'm looking again, are they willing to hold themselves accountable in that situation to something that they set? Um, the other question I ask around accountability is tell me about a time when you took responsibility for a bad or wrong decision. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can, most people are not asking what I call accountability behavioral based questions, but they, they exist and you can do so. Um, and it really, you know, it, it also probably gives you some really good idea about um, integrity as well. I think a lot of those questions go, you know, go to integrity, which without integrity, accountability is going to probably be impossible. Yep. So, you know, I really want, I really want, and I, you know, I started to put this into all, you know, I give my, I give my um, clients a list of 20 competencies that all build behavioral based questions around if we're, if I'm helping out with the hiring process and regardless of whether they pick accountability, which is on the list or not, it shows up <laughs> because like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just quietly being the uh, accountability renegade in the background. <laughs> um, so, but it, you, you can interview for it and you can hire for it. There's no doubt in my mind. Absolutely. I love that you're act, you're, you're mixing um, questions which are, which are just, you know, you add those to a list of questions you're going to ask. That's easy. But also looking at it outside the realm of questions, because what we know is salespeople tend to interview really well because okay. they're salespeople. <laughs> and so to have things like, you know, we're going to give them tasks during the process. We're going to send them, you know, expectations. One of the things that we always used to look at is when we gave specific instructions, like, you know, please send a resume with a cover mm-hmm. letter to this email address. Do mm-hmm. they not send a cover letter mm-hmm. or do they send it to the wrong email address? Or again, if you give them a date deadline, do they actually hit the deadline? Yeah. And if, if they're, you know, 
constantly telling you stories about why they didn't hit the deadline during the hiring process, right. those are the stories you're going to be hearing after you hire that person over and over and over again about why they didn't hit expectations. So, you know, you decide whether you're willing to accept, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's going to be very challenging to hold accountable. Yeah. And I think the other, the other piece of that interview process, so again, that was kind of the candidate piece, right? For me vetting them. But again, you have an, an opportunity during the interview process as a sales leader or founder to, to lay out for them what your expectations will be. So, you know, I say the interview process is, a, is definitely a two-way street. I don't think everybody runs it that way, but I say the first two interviews I do with you, the phone screen and interview number one is all about me figuring out if I like you. But from that point forward, I'm educating that candidate and everything that point forward is them figuring out if, if they can work under our, you know, under our process and strategy and system and for the individual that they would be reporting to. Um, I, and I tell candidates pretty early on in the interview process, you will know way before I know if this is a good idea or not, mm-hmm. because you know yourself and you, and the and experiences that you've had better than I will, even after four or five hours with you. So again, please be honest with yourself. If you don't think this is a good fit and you might not be successful, take yourself out of the running because it will just cause trouble for you and trouble for me later. Um, but candidates, sometimes I think, I think interview processes are sometimes set up where the candidate doesn't get a chance, is, is it, a, is it an educational disadvantage? So mm-hmm. you know, I tell candidates, I want them to be an educated consumer. So yeah, I'm going to test you for accountability, but I'm also going to explain to you how we do it here at this company so that you can decide whether or not that's how you'd like to be held accountable. Absolutely. And if somebody is not going to be a fit in the mm-hmm. role it's to their best interest and your best interest not to have them hired because it's a waste of time for them to to come on and be constantly frustrated by by leadership by you know the kinds of things they're being held accountable to um, and they're eventually not going to work out and then it's a waste of their time and your time and money on both sides oh, yeah. and so it it's i think something that often happens is we almost as employers and and this is some this is a responsibility for employers we almost set it up for potential candidates to feel um, a strong sense of scarcity and we want them to be desperate for the job we want them to to fight for it and be competitive. And what that results in is short-term decision-making and not giving them a lot of information. And if you think about the best decisions you've ever made in your life, whether it's in your personal life or your professional life or anything else, it generally wasn't because you felt super desperate and rushed into something. (laughs) And so to to really be deliberate about this, this is somebody's career. It's it's somebody's family life. It's okay. it's where you spend the bulk of your time and the people that you spend the bulk of your time with. And to really think about, um, you know, is this the right fit? And fit, as, as you've been saying, it's not just about, you know, I understand these products and services and I can sell them. Or, um, you know, I, I know this industry, I know some of the people, I have the right network, but it's who am I going to be working with day to day? Who am I going to be reporting to day to day? Um, what information am I expected to report? Oh, you need me to be the one who enters all the information into CRM and does all these other things. In my his, in my experience, I've always had a sales assistant who did that. I'm not going to do it. And I like you, you could beat me over the head, but I'm not going to do it. Then you might not be a fit in an organization where they're not going to give you a sales assistant. Even just basic things like that. Um, it's, it's a part of accountability and, uh, you have to match. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. 
um, yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I have never, um, yeah, yeah, I like how you said, sometimes we're setting the candidate up to fail. Um, I, I think a lot of times we set sales reps up or employees up to fail, but even taking one step further back in the process, we may be setting them up to fail during the interview process. I like that. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it, it, I don't think it's intentional for anybody, you know, as a, as a business leader, building your business and hiring the right people, it's, it's, that is, it's the difference between success and failure in most businesses. And mm-hmm. so you, you feel that pressure, you feel that stress and you accidentally kind of push that onto the prospective employee and you're really, um, potentially setting things up to be to be more difficult. If you slow the process down a little bit, you're deliberate, you're careful, you're giving them information, you're getting the right information from them, and you decide together that it's a fit or it's not a fit, um, you're reducing a lot of that potential for creating difficulty for really everybody that's involved. Um, it's funny, we actually, I love that you that you talk about this so much in hiring and onboarding because we have templates for um, for job descriptions and interview scorecards that we give to employers, um, you know, to our clients. And we don't have those questions about accountability. And so I think I'm going to revise those tools a little bit and steal some of what you just said. But a section that we tell people to put in their job descriptions is what are you being held accountable to and how are you being held accountable? And if you don't have that in your job descriptions, especially for sales, you need to add that. Um, I can include a link in the show notes to a resource that we put together that shows how we specifically structure that. But it's super, super simple. And it's amazing to me how many organizations don't do it. Yeah, that would be great. I think that's super. Wonderful. All right. So we've talked a lot about accountability, big picture culture. We've talked about it in hiring. And then you also have a different level of accountability that I know we talked about in our pre-call, which is holding prospects accountable. Um, How do you take your culture of accountability that maybe you establish inside your organization and spread it out into the people that you're working with outside? Yeah, that's great. Um, First first and foremost, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of laying out what the expectations are early on. So, you know, again, if you are familiar with Sandler, the upfront contract, if you will. So, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of laying out how the, what, you know, I, I say to sales reps, hey, listen, the sales process is your game. We're going to play it your way. So they're coming to your sandbox. You're not going to theirs. So laying it out pretty early on, like, hey, listen, like if we continue to work together and we keep continuing to move forward, this is sort of how it's going to look over the next, you know, 30 to 60 days or however long your sales cycle is. So first off, like, why would we, why would we keep it a secret? What, you know, what we're going to do all along the way, it just, again, same thing, just kind of like with the candidates, why don't we lay out what we're going to expect out of you? And that way you get a chance to abort if you don't think it's a good idea. Um, the other thing I say to sales reps is you can start to create an accountability culture with your prospects just by walking your talk from the get-go. So are you doing what you say you're going to do? Are you following up with that email or I call it homework? Are you are you doing your homework and sending it off? Are you showing up to appointments on time and being respectful of their time? Um, are you bringing the right people in that you say you're going to bring in? So A, first walk your talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, I tell sales reps, I said, you know, the discovery call is amazing, but discovery really isn't a, a one-time event. Discovery is going on all the time but you need to be making copious notes in your CRM system about things that are being told to you because early on, they're not necessarily thinking about writing a check. So if you've got mm-hmm. something and the relationship seems to be going well, they'll give you a lot of information. And I say, unfortunately, there's sometimes they're going to give us information that we may use later to help them hang themselves. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, 
again, holding the, holding the prospect accountable to, you know, doing next steps. So sales reps, again, some of the sales reps I see, and it's frustrating for me, they get up the call and I go, you didn't schedule the next call. Well, they tell me to call them next week. And I go, okay, well, good luck with that. You know, yeah. that is, is it on anybody's calendar? Then it's yeah, not happening next week. We can track them back down. Yep. Grabbing calendars and getting this done. So it's those kind of, I mean, and to me, these are just sales best practices, right? Elizabeth, you're not surprised to hear me say that you shouldn't get off the next call, that you shouldn't get off this call till the next one's scheduled. Because when I say to reps, I go, it's not like, they're like, ooh, that just seems a little pressury. And I go, no, really? it seems respectful to me. It's right? super professional. That's right. I'm not going to have to nag you for a week and a half to schedule a meeting. We're going to do it right now. And we're going to have the next meeting. Boom. Done. (laughs) And if, and if for a reason they're not interested in doing that, then you may also have your first red flag. So, Mm -hmm. you know, see that as an, you know, again, people don't see, they only think objections are when someone says no, and they're, they're missing the subtle objections that happen every day. Like, well, yeah, why don't you give me a call in two weeks? That's an objection. Absolutely. And I, you know, and I say we handle objections by asking questions. So now you need to dig a little deeper on, well, why wouldn't you want to schedule a call with me next week? Um, So not only holding people accountable by helping move the process forward, which by the way, every time, you know, you schedule a firm call for, and have a goal associated with that next step, you're, you're shortening your sales cycle. So there's no reason why we wouldn't want to do that. Um, And making everyone's life easier. And like you said, it's respectful, it's professional. Um, so, you know, that's one of the ways I really, I really help sales reps hold people accountable. And then the other way is, is the words they've spoken. So mm-hmm. when they shared with us what the problem was, you know, I, I, I tell sales reps, like, oh, it's just not enough to get the pain point anymore. If you don't understand the financial impact of that pain point, then you're going to have a, lo- a hard time building a business case or, or discussing ROI as we get closer. So, you know, really understanding what the problem is and what the financial impact of that is. So that when at some point they start to freeze up or balk, then you say to them, hey, listen, we talked three or four weeks ago when we first got on here and you said this was a $50,000 problem and I got a you know $15,000 solution. So I'm a little confused as to why we wouldn't want to take that next step. Um, again, very direct and sometimes uncomfortable conversations, but you can only have that conversation anyway if you have that information. So you know, by gathering information and then documenting it in your CRM system. And, and my three favorite words are document, document, document. Um, <laughs> you know, like a lot of times they're like, I think they told me. And I'm like, please tell me it's in the CRM system. Oh boy. Uh, so, or they're, or they seem frantically paging through a notebook of like, I know I met with them last time and I'm going to find my notes like, Oh dear God. <laughs> um, I mean, they're like, again, in holding prospects accountable it is again, it is not, it's not not nice. It's not unprofessional. It's not rude. It really is respectful and professional, you know, and again, again, I say to people like, you still have to be able to give people an out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, we're, we're, no one, again, the day you've got the hundred percent close rate, give me a call. Um, and so you know <laughs> it's not a fit for everybody. So, you know, you need along the way though, that has to be part of the upfront agreement. If at any point in time, you feel like this is, I've, I've not created value for you. You're not going to get value. This isn't a fit. There's a reason why this wouldn't work in your company. I need you to say so. So, you know, holding them accountable to also saying no. 
Absolutely. Because one of the ways that prospects are not accountable is they go completely radio silent. And they're basically, you don't know if it's a no, you don't know if it's just, we got busy, we want to do it later. And so to establish an expectation early on that what you're looking for is if you're going to tell me no, tell me no. So I don't bug you and you don't bug me and there's not stress and difficulty and we don't get all emotionally attached to this. This is just, we're a fit or we're not a fit. And I'm perfectly fine not being a fit, but I don't want to not be a fit. And you don't tell me I'm not a fit. Yeah, one of my favorite sales reps, uh, and I tell this story frequently to to new reps, uh, a gentleman named James Friesen. James is now, um, he says, now he's selling God instead of software. He's a pastor now. <laughs> and uh, But James Friesen would put, yeah, in his signature file, he had the following words. My second favorite word is no. <laughs> and, and, and I love that. I mean, like he just, he didn't want a maybe. He just, you know, he you know, uh, hope is not a strategy. And when prospects ghost you, you have to have, again, there's one of the things I say that has to be formal. You have to have a walkaway strategy and it has to be something that you consistently rely on so that again, so that you're not making some subjective decision. Um, if these criteria are present, it looks like they're walking away. Let's go ahead and send the dear Jane email. Yep. We call it a go for no email. And it's amazing how people don't have that. And what's funny is when you send, uh, you know, the go for no email for us is basically, you know, we had some conversations. Um, It seemed like we had discovered a potential value. Uh, You bring in that ROI conversation that you were talking about earlier. You know, I thought you had identified a problem that that we'd be able to solve and save you X dollars. Um, But I haven't heard back from you in a while. And it seems like potentially you've decided we're not a fit. If so, um, I'd obviously love to hear from you. But if I don't hear back from you, by X date, I assume it's a no and I will stop bothering you. You know, if you just got busy, if something else happened, feel free to re-engage and I'm more than happy to talk and I'd love to maintain a relationship in future, something like that. Um, and I will include in the show notes, we have a blog post where we did like seven different templates of how to send that email. It's so simple. And the purpose of the email is not to re-engage. It's to remove the stress on your mind, remove the emotional attachment that you have to this opportunity and just Mm -hmm. get it off your mind. So you can focus on the ones that are actually moving forward. Yeah. yeah, I mean, why would you want to spend your energy with, and I I don't call them no's, I call them NRNs, not right now's. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, why why would we want to bang our head against the wall with a not right now when we would bang our, our head, you know, when we don't have to bang our head against the wall with someone who is ready right now? Yeah. And I want to go back really quickly because I just thought of something um, that you were bringing up earlier is uh, one of the first things you said when we started talking about setting expectations with prospects is talk about the buyer journey that they're on, talk about the sales process and what comes next. I did a podcast interview um, and I just actually pulled it up and it was episode 216, episode 216 with Tom Williams and he runs dealpoint.io. So for listeners, if you want to review that episode, again, we'll include it in the show notes. I put everything in the show notes, but um, it's a platform that allows buyers and sellers to communicate on expectations. But what we said during our conversation is this could be an email, this could be an Excel file, it could be a Word document, whatever it is, if you tell buyers, here's how you buy from us, here's what comes next, then they know and you can hold them accountable to their parts of it. You know, we we put in our follow-up emails, here's what we're going to do and here's what we need from you. Mm -hmm. And if you need information to move things forward, Tell them that you need that information. And what you don't want to do is is have like 10 different conversations to ask for 10 different points of information. Oh, I forgot I need this too. They give that to you. Oh, by the way, I need this. To send them an email with like 10 bullet points. I need this, 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 and this. Uh, They just 
they'll just reply to that email with all that information. And it's also a significant buying sign. If they're following along that process, then you have somebody who's resistant or makes it difficult or very very slow. And then, you know, you need to have a different conversation with them because it doesn't seem like they're terribly engaged in buying from you. So it's, you know, as we've been talking about this, um, I hope the listeners are are hearing like a lot of this is is relatively basic. This is just Mm -hmm. figuring out. key principles, key, key tools that you can use. It's, it's communicating a little bit differently, but it's, it's basic professional sales. And as a sales leader, which is most of our audience, um, really think about, do your teams have tools like this? Have you trained them on processes like this? And if not, you've got a, you've got a big opportunity to improve that culture of accountability in your team. That's right. All right. Well, I have I have absolutely loved this conversation, Christy. I think we could keep talking about accountability for hours and hours and hours. And every time you say something, I think of something. And I, I think that's the same as happening for you. Um, but we probably need to wind down. So something we always like to ask is, what are three books that you would, or not necessarily three, what are some books that you might recommend to listeners who are interested in thinking more either specifically about um, this culture of accountability like we've been talking about, or just in general? Yeah, great, um, great question because I am uh, I'm an audible junkie. So um, I did another podcast last week, and she said, "What what could you not do without on the desert island?" And I said, "Audible." Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. At least I could hear somebody else's voice. I could hear <laughs> make me feel like I wasn't alone. Um, I've read some great books recently. Um, in the uh, I'm doing a lot of traveling, so I've been listening to a lot of books in the car. So here are my here are my three off the top of my head. Um, I'm actually rereading for the fourth time currently, Brene Brown's The Power of Vulnerability, where, yes. where she does speak about um, uh, about accountability. And um, Brene says accountability is very simple and it's three things. Authenticity, being honest about this is what I did. Action, this is how I'm going to fix it. And amends, this is what I will do to make amends. Um so she talks a lot about going into companies and she says she can tell pretty right away if they have an accountability culture or not. So um, for lots of reasons, I love Brene Brown. Um, she also has a leadership book as well. Uh, but but Power of Vulnerability does talk a lot about accountability. So I'm loving that one. Um, two different but kind of fun books that I've read recently. One, uh, Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference. Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I've read that twice or I've listened to that twice as well. Um, he's just, I mean, again, not to mention the fact that he was the number one hostage negotiator for the FBI for a number of years. Um, and that every story he tells is just incredible. Um, so that's been definitely something that I've really enjoyed. The other book I read recently that was just kind of like really super interesting, a book called when the scientific secrets of perfect timing by Daniel Pink. Um, Mm -hmm like unbelievable information, statistic information, so much data, and I'm a data junkie, about when the best time to do so many things is. <laughs> um, and really understanding your internal clock. So are you a nocturnal person or are you a lark, as they call, as he calls it? And if you're a morning person, wh- like when the best time to do certain tasks are, and if you're nocturnal, when the best time to do certain tasks are. Um, but as well as just super, super interesting information about again, like people peaking and, and timing and timing of things, even, even everything from like kind of when you were born and what that says about you. Um, so it was just a really, it was a really fun read, a really interesting book. Um, so those are the ones I've been, I've been kind of, um, I've been kind of, Oh, you know what? The other one I read recently, I just pulled up my audible talking to strangers, Malcolm Gladwell. Is there any book that he yes. writes that isn't fascinating? <laughs> 
Uh, well, you picked, I, I would say, four of my absolute favorite author slash books. So um, uh, I, I can second every single one of those recommendations with like bells on top. Uh, Brene Brown, I feel like she has come up in about half of the podcasts I've recorded in the last couple of months. Yes, and just, um, just, just the the combination of, of really thinking about like who you are and your internal life and how that impacts what it is that you're doing. And, and so often we, we just try to think that we're robots and we're not, we're people (laughs) working with other people. Um, and then, um, Dan Pink genius. And he, um, the Hidden Brain podcast from NPR is um, it's one of my favorites that I listen to. And he used to, he's not on as much anymore, but he was a frequent guest when the podcast first started. And the the breadth of knowledge that he has is just insane. Um, and, and scientific database-based knowledge. This isn't just like oh, he, yeah. he's a deep thinker, which is valuable in, in you know, I'm not, I'm not dismissing that, but just the, the sheer breadth of, of information. Um, and then Malcolm Gladwell, obviously, uh, I think everybody yeah. <laughs> has learned from, from the research that, that he does. So yeah. great list. Yeah. Um, all right, Christy, this has been so much fun. Um, I, I think, as I said, we could probably keep talking for a while, but if you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? A couple of places you can definitely hit me up on LinkedIn. So um, it's Christy, K-R-I-S-T-I-E, last name Jones. Um, Elizabeth, I also am offering a free 20-minute consultation to anybody who'd like some free sales advice. So my website is salesaccelerationgroup.com. And if they go to front slash LTS, then there'll be a form they can fill out. So specifically just for your listeners, then I'd be happy to sit down and talk to anybody and give a 20 minute consultation on any kind of challenges that they may be facing that you think I can help with. All right. We will throw those links in the show notes so people can find it. Um, I'm sure as our listeners have, have discovered throughout this conversation, Christy is a great resource, especially I love that, that example that you give, or when you talk about, you know, you're, you're, working with zero and broken. Um, and so if you're in a situation where you're really kind of starting things up, you're you're looking at maybe your first sales hire, or you just have like one or two and you're really trying to form things. I know, Christy, you have tons of experience there. Um, or if things have really broken down, maybe you made a couple sales hires and none of them worked out. We actually talked to somebody. I just have to say this. It was a few months ago and they had done three different waves where they built a sales team of up to eight to 10 people and then had to fire all of them because they could never figure it out. And we were like, this is not that you're hiring the wrong people necessarily. You have a sales leadership and sales culture issue. Yeah, <laughs> problem. Yep. Yep. So if you're there, uh, please call Christy. Um, and I know she'd be more than, more than happy to help. I would. Elizabeth, thank you so much. I've had so much fun chatting. Like you said, we could do this for hours. Definitely. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources and all these links that we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 234. Be sure to tune in on Friday for another inspirational episode. And if you haven't done it lately, please check out our blog where we share insights and, um, and information and resources. You can find that at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. As a reminder, if you have any feedback for me, any topics or questions that you want us to address on the podcast, suggestions of guests that we should be speaking to, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you are enjoying the show, and I hope you are, please, please, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen. While you're there, if you leave us a rating or a review, that really helps us. It helps more people find the show and lets us know what's working and what we can do to improve. Remember to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook. 
Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, Mark Krogan, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!